Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. I'm real proud to present my jam in conversation with fiddler and melodic clawhammer banjoist extraordinaire Adam Hurt. Adam wanted to do an episode on early Galax fiddling, a subject about which he's very knowledgeable, so I expected this to be an educational episode, and it is. What I didn't necessarily expect was a deeply personal story about the role of old time in Adam's life. I haven't read or listened to a lot of his other interviews, so I'm not sure how typical it is for him to talk like this in front of a mic, but suffice it to say, the stuff he says explains a lot about his playing and, you know, how he got to be the musician we all admire so much. Also, musically, this episode is probably the sweetest one yet. I'm really happy to share it with you. You're going to love it. October is Get Up in the Cool Month. I'm trying to ingratiate myself to you by featuring my most jaw-dropping, excellent guests. In return, I ask that you honor each week's call to action. To those of you who've shared Get Up in the Cool on old-time Facebook groups and left five-star reviews in iTunes, thank you. It really makes a big difference. And if you haven't yet, it's certainly not too late. You can probably do that stuff on your phone right now while you're listening. This week's call to action is a little more ambitious, and a few of you are, are already on this. I'm asking you to use your connections to make Get Up in the Cool bigger and better. Here's an example. Let's say you personally know some big shot old-time musician who should be on the show. Introduce us on Facebook. You could be the one to make it happen. Do you know someone with an old-time bluegrass or folk music blog? Anyone with access to the ears and or eyes of the masses? Share Get Up in the Cool with them. See if they'll do a write-up, have me on their show, whatever. Maybe you know the folks at Ear Trumpet Labs and could get me an upgrade in exchange for talking about their microphones. Maybe you know Kevin Bacon. Get him to tweet about the show. That's how Lake Street Dive blew up. Anyway, I know I'm always asking you to share the show. This week I'm asking you to share strategically. See what happens. All right, enough pledge drive nonsense. Here's my jam and conversation with Adam Hurt. You're going to smile the whole time. It's going to be really nice for you. (laughs) Enjoy.
Yeah. Fun. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's Love how that it. goes. Love <laughs> it. Oh, welcome to the show, Adam Hurt. Thank you, Cameron, welcome, for having me. Welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Super fun. Yeah. Um, what did we just play? Uh, that was Western Country or Susanna Gal, depending on whom you ask, a version from Emmett Lundy of southwestern Virginia, one of my favorite historical fiddlers. Yeah, and you were saying this is a version people don't typically know. Yeah, not as well-known a version. I mean, the A part is a lot like the fly around yes. My Pretty Little Miss or Blue-Eyed Gal that is played everywhere, but the B part is quite different, and yeah. I think it's really pretty. I love the spaciousness of it and the syncopation of the fiddle part, too. Yeah, Especially that first phrase of the of the B part, mm-hmm. do da 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 da. Right. <laughs> that's re- that's pretty funky. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that's really, it really cool. Is. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and also I notice a lot in your playing that there's um, a lot of these tunes that we're going to do today. They have kind of very familiar forms, mm. but the pathways and the and the individual notes were a little bit foreign to me. Hmm. They're really nice and very different and fresh, but they're very foreign. Mm-hmm. And because you play so uh, impeccably and cleanly, it was very easy to learn them <laughs> and oh. to be able to like uh, follow along, which well, I appreciated. Good. You're generous <laughs> to say that. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Is that a, in the one version of that? It is. I love that one. Thanks. Yeah. Us too. Yeah. <laughs> ah. I think it's maybe the best version of that tune. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> So, um, Thank you. are we doing some more Emmett Lundy tunes today? We will we'll do some more Emmett Lundy tunes today. A little bit later today, there are, um, yeah, two more on the list, one of which is a bonus, but we're doing it all the same. And you, were, you had a, a plan for the overall, like, theme. Do these fit in a certain region? Or? They do. So, um, I've gotten interested in sort of early Galax, Virginia area fiddle styles lately, and uh, Emmett Lundy, I think, is sort of the father of that subgenre of old-time fiddling. There were earlier players in that region, but to my knowledge, none of them were recorded. He's sort of the earliest recorded representation of that regional style there is. And there's something about the fiddle style and the tune style from that part of the world and that point in time that I think is special and cool. And it's a little hard for me to put my finger on everything that I like or notice about it, so maybe you can give me your impressions too. But I think the tunes are interestingly stately. Yes. The tunes themselves, uh, the melodies fit together in a less swingy sort of way than down in Round Peak or than slightly more modern old-time tunes, even from that region, do. And the fiddle styles sort of bring that out, I think. Um, Some interesting longer strokes where you might not have expected them and just a more measured quality on the instrument than you hear on newer recordings or from different regions. And I kind of like it. I think it's elegant music from an unexpected place. Yeah, these are yeah, these are all very elegant. It's a good way of elegant, stately, measured mm. tunes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very cool. Uh, it's sort of like I also did an episode with David Bass. This uh-huh. is like on the pole it's like the polar opposite <laughs> <laughs> okay i is, can imagine is that. is that like uh is that sort of re- regional too because he he's like does a lot of round peak stuff yeah and that's like um it 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 sounds like west african drumming to me is oh how yeah it sounds it's yeah. great stuff and i yeah. love to play that music too yes. 
Although I can't hold a, hand, a candle to the way that people like David play it. Yeah, he's, he's kind of like a shaman, isn't he? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's one yeah. way to look at it. Yeah, I was like, oh boy, I, this is totally tapped in. Yeah. And so I would venture to say that um, that fiddle style and tune style from Round Peak is maybe more rhythm-oriented, right. although the notes certainly matter, yes. whereas the stuff we're looking at today, yeah, the rhythm matters, yeah. and it's sort of stately, but the the note spacing of the tunes themselves yes. makes them more that way. The rhythm I think, is sort the of, of the serving yeah, the melody that's a great and, way to and put the tune, it. whereas when David did... Um, uh, what, what was that one? He did Cluckold Hen. Okay. I, I was doing a pre-jam with him, and I was like, what was that? He's like, that's Cluckold Hen. I was like, that wasn't Cluckold Hen. What are you talking about? Yeah, but this was, uh, yeah, very, some of these tunes are very clearly sort of in a, in a sort of family mm. of other tunes that I really appreciate whenever someone, um, a lot of, I feel like a lot of the regionalism has been lost because uh, everyone's, hopping all over the east coast you know and mm-hmm. you know and i've been hanging out with all these people from british columbia you know and oh, it's funny. like so it's all of these styles are get, it's a big melting pot which is beautiful in a way yeah but, but also some of the eccentricities mm-hmm. of the isolated counties get lost and i i really appreciate when people are dig that stuff back up and like don't forget right yeah. yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think um, this merging of traditions and influences is taking old-time music to a wonderful new place. Yes. And I think it's a really exciting time to be involved with this music, yeah. actually. Um, but yeah, we can't forget our history, yeah. I think. And as much as people seem prone to label me a progressive banjo player, uh-huh. maybe more than a fiddler, um, I think of myself as more traditional than that. I yes. mean, no, I don't aim to play that instrument just like any of the old players, yes. but I've certainly tried my best to listen to and learn from those old players and integrate their ideas into my music, which might be a new thing. Yes. Let's play another tune there. I want to ask you more about how you got into playing old-time music. And Please. What, ask you to unpack your reputation <laughs> as a progressive banjo player. All right. I, I would hear, love to I want to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a lot of people have thoughts on it. All positive. Well, I don't know about that, but All thank positive you. <laughs> that I've talked to. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, Rocking in the Weary Land? Rocking in the Weary Land, yes, which comes from a different historical fiddler from the same area. This comes from a guy named Luther Davis, whose music I know less about. I've learned most of what I know of Luther Davis and his music from my good friend Paul Brown, who spent a lot of time with Luther near the end of his life, uh, back in the late 70s and early 80s, if I remember correctly. But he's right there in keeping with the tradition that Emmett Lundy at least on recording, got started. I think this is a really interesting tune, though, and I picked it for that reason as much as for where it comes from. So the title is strange, and it almost does sound more like a song than a tune, although I haven't heard lyrics attached. That string of words, rocking in the weary land, does show up as kind of a floating lyric. I've heard it in Big Eyed Rabbit. I feel like I've heard it in some other things, too. I don't really know what it means, yeah, I was gonna say, but it's what... so evocative at the same time. Yeah. It really has an interesting feeling. Um, and when I heard that that was the title of this already cool melody, it made me like it that much more. Yeah. And so it's a D-tune, but 
it doesn't really start in D, and it doesn't really resolve to D right. either, but yet that's the tuning in which I think it's the most at home on the banjo. Do you agree? Yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. But it, it has a it has a circular quality to it. Right. Yeah, harmonically. Right. Yeah, starting and ending on A notes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Cool, well, let's try it, shall we? Yeah. One, two, three...
pretty. That's sweet. I love your chords. Oh, thank I love you. your harmonies. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a really just sweet. I, I feel kind of emotional just like after that tune. It's, it's just, just so lovely, warm. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it really doesn't sound like anything else either, no. which I think is interesting. Because so many of these tunes kind of sound like they belong in families with other melodies, right. but I feel like that's pretty distinctive. I mean, it feels it has more of the the, the evocative. It feels like very modern. Mm-hmm. It feels like like Coondog or something. Wait, is Coondog modern? No, I think that's a traditional really? tune, but it's kind of the same deal, isn't it? Yeah, it has it? that sort of... Yeah, harmonically, yeah. they're similar, huh? I hadn't thought about that, but you make a good point. It makes me feel similarly. All right, <laughs> yeah. even better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So, yeah, tell us, um, how did you get into playing old-time music? And also, if it's a different story, how did you get into playing music in general? Okay, so, yeah, they're different stories, but the same. Take us on the journey. Way. All right. So, um, I'm proud to have been born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, I don't have that Minnesota accent thing because I'm the only member of my family who was from Minnesota. Yeah. So, I didn't hear that sound at home, but I certainly heard the Ya yeah, You Betcha Scandinavian yeah. Lutheran thing <laughs> at school all the time. And it's for real, it's hilarious. Anybody who doesn't believe it just needs to watch Fargo and listen to the accents and the speech patterns. They kind of nailed it. Yeah. It's hilarious. Um, but anyway, so this kind of music was definitely not in my frame of reference growing up yeah. there. But music certainly was because my father made his living as a member of the Minnesota Orchestra. He okay. played violin in the second violin section, and that was his career for about wow. 40 years. And he also taught private violin lessons at home, so that was kind of in the background yes. of my life. And we'd go to concerts quite regularly, which I enjoyed to the extent that I could yeah. as a very young person and then as an angsty teenager, yes. I guess. Um, <laughs> in looking back on it, I realized that it was really a pretty special yeah. experience, and I wish I could travel back in time. Well, how did your... What did music like mean to your dad? Was it like this is just my job, this is my nine to five, or was he? Did he? Was it just the exposure, or did he really like it? Did he teach you how to like music? A lot of people don't know how to like music, right? Um, you know, I would say to a certain extent he did teach me how to like music, but. Um, When I came into his life, that was nearing the end of his career. He was 51 when I was born, and he had already raised another child, and he had been involved with this music for a long time at that point. And there certainly was a big passion behind his pursuit of it earlier in life. He grew up in rural Colorado, and it was really a struggle for him to access any classical music in that environment. And he told me stories of taking the bus, the Greyhound bus, a long way just to get instruction. And the lessons were kind of few and far between, and he so really had to work to make it happen. definitely passionate. Yeah. Definitely passionate <laughs> I like about it. it. Um, but I think as time went on, and it really was his job, yeah. it was his livelihood, um, he lost some of that initial passion, and I think that's sort of sad. Yeah. But I think it's not an uncommon way for people who do something creative for their yes. living end up feeling about it. Yeah. I'm trying to not let that happen to me trying any to keep way it possible. Sacred. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Like I remember, um, especially into my teen years, um, he never listened to music. 
at yeah. home. I can remember classical radio and things like that being on in the background when I was a lot younger, but there came a certain time in his life where he just didn't want to be around it unless he was at work, I guess. I think that's sort of too bad. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think he would have preferred any other way of making his living. Yes. He was good at it, and it was good for him. Yeah. I can't see him in a nine-to-five job mm-hmm. situation <laughs> at any point. So there was that. Um, my mother never played music professionally, but she was and still is a very good classical piano player. And so that was in the background of my life at home, too. Um, And they didn't really engage with any music that wasn't classical. Yes. Um, They divorced when I was five, and after that time, my mom developed some other musical interests, pretty casual ones, though. But certainly while they were together, and as I continued to know my father... um, Classical music was music. Yeah. Uh, yes. Nothing else yeah. really rated. So it was funny. Um, I liked classical music, I guess. I liked <laughs> music, and that was the only kind of music yes. I knew. Um, but there was one thing about it that didn't work for me, and this didn't become clear until my parents put me in piano lessons when I was really young, like four or so. I started piano lessons. I liked the piano okay. I didn't really have a say in the matter, as I recall. Um, And I liked the music we were playing, fine, because it was all I knew. But I was never very good at reading music. Mm. And yet I was one of the earliest readers in my kindergarten class, I remember. So it wasn't really that. It was something different. But I didn't know there was a way to make music that wasn't oriented around the printed page because that's what I saw my parents doing and that's what I saw the orchestra doing and I just thought that's what you did. Yes. Um, So that became a problem uh, more and more as I moved forward in my piano playing. Let me back up a minute, though, speaking of the piano. So, no, I didn't really have a say in whether to play that. I guess if I had expressed interest in the violin, maybe I could have started lessons with my dad or with a colleague right. of his. But I don't remember that subject really coming up. What I do remember is that my mother worked as a minister when I was very young. Really? And sometimes I would be in the church where she was working and get to hear the pipe organ. Yeah. And I just thought that was the most amazing thing. It is an amazing thing, isn't it? Totally amazing. I mean, how it takes over this entire massive space and fills it with sound. Yeah. And I love the physical manifestation of the instrument just being so massive and realizing that, oh, that's not something I could take home. That's not something I could have in my home. I have to be in this special place to even experience it. So I thought that it's was like pretty cool. It's like the Holy of Holies. It's yeah. Like a, it is a very this? religious instrument just because you have to go to church to play it. Very much so. Very <laughs> or much Macy's so. if you or, or Macy's, the, or if you're right. the organ player at the Philadelphia Macy's. Which is an amazing thing in your city. I've heard that, <laughs> yeah, and it's... I love it. I think it's so cool that that's still going on. Yeah. So I remember that I would, like, build Lego organs and draw <laughs> organs, and everything was organ-oriented. So I guess that was, in a way, what inspired my parents to put me in piano lessons, because I guess you have to learn the piano Lego before organs. you learn the organ. And, yeah, I was building Lego organs. That's one organs. of the most adorable obsessed. things I've ever heard. <laughs> and I love that story. It's true. What a it's gem. It's true. Um, so, you know... I was in piano lessons for a number of years, maybe 10 or 12 years, 
and it never turned into the organ. And I don't know if it eventually would have or right. if that was forgotten by the powers that right. were. Um, but I never fell in love with the piano. Yeah. I liked it, but I didn't love it. And yeah. I'm not sure I ever would have loved it, even if I had been better at music reading and kind of more into what we were doing. Well, on the organ, they would have made you read three staves. I know. So maybe it's just as well. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's just as well. Um, but thank goodness for everyone, old-time music came into my life and saved the day. Yeah. So when I was um, 10 in public school in St. Paul, Minnesota, my homeroom teacher that year, not from the South either, happened to play all of these traditional instruments. The mandolin was his favorite. He did play the banjo, but he didn't happen to own one yes. at that time. I sort of learned that later. He played the fiddle, he played guitar, auto harp, mountain dulcimer. That's everything that I can recall. His name was Don Payden, and I will be forever grateful to him for introducing me to this thing that I never would have experienced well, any so other way. We. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, and the moment I heard him play this stuff, just sort of in free periods, in the classroom, I was intrigued. Yeah. I really liked the sounds of the instruments, especially the mandolin. I really liked the way the tunes worked. Um, they reminded me, in a way, of some of the classical stuff that I was working on, the more methodical stuff, sort yes. of the, the Mozart, especially, if I remember right. Um, but it was more accessible, and I liked yes. that, too. But maybe the best part was that he was making this compelling music without looking at a single printed reference. Yeah. You could just look wherever you wanted, yeah. around the room. I yeah. didn't know that was a thing, but he showed me that sure enough it was. So um, I asked him if he would just show me a little bit of that music on the mandolin in whatever free periods we could find. So he did. And he I bet was, he was just over the moon that well, someone wanted. Well, I think he kind of was. Because... Yeah. In my memory, he told me of one other person in his entire teaching career who was also intrigued by the music yes. that he made. And everyone else either didn't notice or didn't like it yeah. or couldn't care less, you know. So the fact that I was voicing an interest, I think, did kind of excite him. So um, he let me take one of his mandolins home for spring break, which I thought was incredibly generous. And I could play a few little tunes by then, and I was able to show my parents then what I had been doing. And they thought that was kind of interesting, kind of cool, <laughs> a little off the wall. Definitely not what they were expecting yes. their musical, quote-unquote, son to be yes. getting into after all this piano stuff. Right. But... Um, my dad apparently was convinced enough that that same spring when I brought the mandolin home on break, um, we went to get a mandolin. Yeah. There was a trade show of musical instruments that had passed through town not long before that, and my mother took me to it, and there was a guy who was dealing some mandolins. He had a couple cool bowlback mandolins from the turn mm. of the century. And I thought those were really interesting, and they weren't very expensive, actually, but they were still out of the budget of a fourth grader. Yes. Um, but I didn't forget about them, and so when my dad was like, okay, if this is something you really want to do, let's get you an instrument of your own, I told him about those mandolins, and somehow he managed to track the guy down. Yeah. And we drove way out west in Minnesota and visited this guy who had the mandolins. And... I picked the one that I thought was the better of the two instruments, and I still have it to this day. I don't do anything with it, but that kind of started the journey, that yeah. little bowlback mandolin. Um, 
And I forget which of my parents then found me some mandolin instruction with a local bluegrass player. Uh, but that was super fun. And I continued to play some with Don at school. Um, I forget whether I was still learning tunes off of him at that point or if it was all the bluegrass stuff. Now, was the transition from... Re I know you were eager to not have to read music, but was the transition difficult from reading music to doing things by ear? Not that I recall, because actually, um, at that point, I had sort of figured out a way... Um, to fool my piano teacher into thinking that I was reading the music, I would get her, uh, bless her heart, to play whatever it was we were working on yeah. at the start. And I guess I was able to remember enough of how it sounded yeah. that I only needed to look at the music when I just couldn't remember some right. detail. But I could mostly do it from right. memory and by ear before I knew that was a thing. Um, yeah. But, you know, even if this music hadn't come into my life, there absolutely would have reached a point in my piano development where the jig would have been up. Yeah. And the stuff would have been too hard <laughs> or too long or whatever for me to remember yeah. it and do it by ear. And then I would have had to bone up on my music reading yeah. or just scrap the whole Once project. you started playing Prokofiev, yeah. you'd be like, you got to look at the page. That man. would have been it. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness we didn't get there. Um... So the piano lessons continued for a few more years as the mandolin lessons picked up steam. Um, immediately, I perceived a difference in the mandolin lessons between bluegrass music, whatever that was, yes. and fiddle tunes, whatever those right. were. And so what my teacher at school, Don, had been teaching me were what he called fiddle tunes. Yes. So I asked this new mandolin instructor, whose name is Brian Wicklund, uh, for more fiddle tunes. More fiddle tunes, please. Bill Monroe's great, Western Swing, whatever. Yes. But more fiddle tunes, please. So he would dutifully provide me with fiddle tunes to learn, and I would work hard on them. But pretty soon he had me know that, you know, there's this whole other genre of music that's related to bluegrass, yeah. but it's more about fiddle tunes than yeah. about these other things that you don't seem to be super interested in learning. And I said, oh? <laughs> go on. <laughs> yeah, go on. Um... But it became clear, and I forget exactly how, that, you know, the mandolin wasn't that big a player in right. old-time music, even though it certainly can fit in. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like he was suggesting that I pursue old-time music as a mandolin player. Yes. He was just telling me about this music, period, that yeah. he thought I might like better. Just by chance, around that same time, he was learning to play claw hammer banjo. And I noticed on his instrument stand, where he kept his mandolin and his dreadnought guitar, there was this banjo that didn't have a back on it. Yeah. And by that time, I had been to a couple local bluegrass festivals, and I had heard the bluegrass banjo. It really didn't do anything for me. It just didn't. I didn't get it. Um, but I knew that this one didn't quite look the same, even though it had the right number of strings. So I asked him what the deal was with that. And he said, oh, this is an old-time banjo for the kind of music we're now talking about. And he played a little bit of the claw hammer lick for me. And I thought, that is really cool, because I can hear the tunes that I love in a way that I really couldn't when listening to bluegrass yes. banjo. But suddenly it's fitting this genre that's yeah. all about those tunes. And I don't know, I love the way that it was as melodic as it needed to be, but also more rhythmically driving than yeah. the mandolin had been. It seemed like a more complete musical experience than the mandolin. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's what I want to learn to do. The mandolin wasn't quite it. That's it. 
um, he didn't feel like he could really teach me yes. because he himself was so new to it. But he told my parents and me about a colleague of his in Minneapolis who was a good claw hammer banjo player who did teach. Her name was Marianne Kovach. So I asked my parents, can't we please get in touch with Marianne? Can't we please do this? And they were really skeptical because uh-huh. by that point I had been playing the mandolin less than a year. Yeah. Already it was such a departure from what they knew me to do right. musically. And they thought, oh, here he is changing gears again. What's You're just up with retreating that? further into the mountains. Right, right. <laughs> and just changing my mind too often yeah, as yeah. well. So they said, well, okay, you can check that out, but keep on with the mandolin. Yes. So I did. And the piano lessons continued and the mandolin lessons continued and the claw hammer banjo lessons began, but so too did bluegrass banjo lessons. (laughs) And here's why. This was so funny. So my parents had heard of bluegrass music. They had not heard of old time music. They had heard the name Bill Monroe and Earl Scruggs. Um, they had not heard any of the names of the people we're interested in today. Yes. Forget about it, and they never would have. They thought that I was choosing Clawhammer Banjo out of ignorance or uh-huh. cluelessness more than because <laughs> that's actually what I liked. So they said, well, you can do the Clawhammer lessons, but just to be sure, we want you to do some bluegrass banjo lessons as well. So I did like, maybe... bless a- his heart, he wants to... I know, <laughs> yeah. I know, silly little 11-year-old... Adam, not knowing any better and putting himself in a, 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 a bad box, a right. limiting box, you know, by wanting to do claw hammer. So I did bluegrass banjo lessons for about a year while doing claw hammer banjo lessons at the same time. Um, eventually, I guess I was able to convince my parents yes. that, you know, this was the choice I had in mind and we can do something here. So they let me stop the bluegrass lessons. And I stopped the mandolin lessons eventually, and I stopped the piano lessons too, although that took some convincing. Yeah. Because after 10 or 12 years, you know, this was a real investment of time yes. and of their money, and it's like, you're going to throw this all away? Well, hopefully you're going to replace it with something meaningful yeah. to everyone. Yeah. And I think eventually they believed that I had. So um, as soon as I started working with Marianne on Clawhammer Banjo, that was it for me. I knew that I had found my musical place. And she taught me the basic moves in both hands and a repertoire of tunes for maybe a year and a half, something like that. Um, And then she started inviting fiddler friends of hers over to our lessons, and she would play the guitar. And I'd have to play the banjo, and I was the only person on the banjo being made to follow along with these tunes that we hadn't learned. That was quite an experience. I mean, it's what you and I do all the time now when we play banjo in sessions, but I didn't know that was a thing either. Making the jump from performing uh to just jamming and like actually just speaking in the vocabulary, Mm -hmm. that's... It's very exciting, but it's very nerve-wracking it when is, you start doing it? that. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. And I guess it had never occurred to me that one would play or play along with tunes that one hadn't actually yes. learned. <laughs> but here I was being made to do it. Yes. And eventually uh, I figured out you know, how to listen to these fiddle tunes for the details that ought to be captured on the banjo in the heat of the moment. So that was really fun. And after a little bit of that, Marianne 
sort of said, okay, I don't think we need to do regular lessons anymore. Um, just go out there and listen to yeah. as much of this old-time music as you can, banjo and fiddle, and see what you can learn from your own listening. She sent me off with a cassette tape that I still have, which was her Clawhammer banjo old-time music mixtape containing a bunch of old players and new players that she thought were important. So I listened a lot to that, and whenever I heard something I liked, I tried to find more of that do, person's music. Do you music. remember who was on it? I remember a number of the names. I still have the tape. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> Walt Koken was on there. Oh, yeah. And I still think, and I was pretty blown away even then, but I think even more now that he is the best and most interesting Clawhammer banjo player alive. I just think he's incredible. Um, he is, yeah. He's... He was amazing. Um, Richie Stearns was on that tape as well with his string band, The Renegades, whom I had seen live, and Marianne had actually facilitated a lesson that I took with Richie, which was mind-blowing as an 11-year-old. Um, there were some other modern players on there. I think Dan Gellert was on there. Um, and then a bunch of interesting older players. Burl Hammonds, I believe, was on there. Tommy Gerald, I'm sure, was on there. Fred Cockerham was on there. Thaddeus Willingham from way down in Mississippi, way early, was on there playing Oh My Little Darling. I remember I that know. as being an incredible moment. Yeah, check him out. That, Super cool. Wait, Thaddeus, Thaddeus? Thaddeus Willingham. Willingham. I don't know much about him other than that he was quite early and I think southern Mississippi is yeah. right, way down there, not where you even expect Mississippi old-time music to come from. Yeah. And um, he sang and played the banjo, and it was like this trip back in time mm -hmm. that I was taking as an 11-year-old. And I actually need to follow up and find more of his music if there is some. So... That was kind of the beginnings of the journey. I've probably gone on way longer than you had in mind, but no, that's this is this trying is, to fill in gaps. No, this is wonderful. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I didn't know anything about how you got into playing music. And yeah, like, yeah, it's all falling into place. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I had yeah a little bit of a similar journey. I started on classical piano. And, Did you? Okay. Yeah, slowly made my way into into old time. It became although old time banjo. I, although I took, I, I did have a. a I did take that singer-songwriter route for a while. I thought that had in, been in, in your background. In between. Uh-huh. So that, I feel like in a way that was sort of helpful as a transition, mm. as opposed to just jumping in cold. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Doing a complete 180, yeah. right? So, but... I should say, too, after all this talk, how thankful I am to have had the parents that I did. Yeah. Who did humor my interest in this completely foreign and maybe to them lesser music yeah. although they absolutely did accept it as just as valid as their yes. classical music after they learned more about it through me but if I hadn't had such supportive parents who were willing to help me find instruction and who were willing to get me instruments when I wasn't in a position yes. to get them myself um, I think the road would have been a lot tougher. I think I probably would have found a way to make it happen because I was just that enthusiastic about this music. But uh, I'm delighted that the journey didn't have to be any more arduous than it was, yeah. thanks to them. Well, I love how much like just gratitude is in your story. Over mm. and over, you know, all of these 
you just are dropping all of these full names of people who got you to the next place, got you to the next place, you know, and like just sort of dropped these old time bombs on you. <laughs> and, you know, and just like, uh, yeah, I love that you, it seems like you, your, your story is very much a, a like a village mm. sort of the old time village raised you. you I know? would say so. Yeah. I mean, so many people have done so much for me and for my music making and without any of them, the path would have been completely different. I mean, just getting into the music was such a strange series of circumstances. And if one little thing had changed, Mm -hmm. maybe I'd still be playing classical music, or maybe I'd be a tax collector, or who knows (laughs) what I'd be doing right now. Maybe I'd be living back in Minnesota still, or in a different part of the world. I don't know. It's been a fabulous journey, and it continues. Yeah. Well, let's... uh, Is the banjo duet next? I think... The banjo duet is next. Let's play banjo duet. After all this talk about banjo, yeah, yeah, I certainly certainly. shouldn't play the fiddle next. Good call on that. So we're going to play a tune called Lily of the Valley that also comes from Luther Davis. And I just think it's the prettiest little tune there is. I was exposed to it first through Dan Gellert's fiddling in a jam session, a very mixed level and large jam session. And as someone who works with new old-time musicians quite a bit on how to play along with other people and how to cope with unfamiliar tunes in sessions. I'm always on the lookout for tunes that kind of go where you expect them to in a way, but that I've never heard before. Yes. And I thought this was the coolest choice that Dan could have made in that session because it was accessible to this very mixed level jam and yet it wasn't boring it wasn't too familiar it was this cool different tune and i was all over him what is that tune and where does it come from so let's play it on two banjos lily of the valley here we go
Denise. <laughs> that was fun. That nice. was good. <laughs> it's like there's uh, nothing better and or nothing worse than the banjo duet. I know it. I know it. <laughs> and right. that moment made me think there's nothing better. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, super good. Uh, I was kind of laying back to give you space to go all over the place. I hope that was all right. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, enjoyed I hearing where you were going. Had enough space, too. Oh, totally, totally. You know, I'm not sure I've played that on the banjo more than just a few times. Uh, it's usually me on the fiddle, because that's the context in which I first heard it. But it's a nice banjo, too. Too. Yeah, I'm glad we I'm glad we chose that one. I think so. So that is that a problem? I don't think so. It was louder at Clifftop. True. I had the Ice Boys that I had oh, to contend with. Funny. You know the Ice Boys? I sure do. There's this one in particular that liked to that did it just like this, like kind of concerned, and like it was almost like he was like in a dark room and he and he didn't know where he's going. He would go, Ice. Ice! <laughs> like that. A hysterical inflection. <laughs> Ice! Ice! <laughs> it was I love so it. bizarre. It was like it was his first time or something. Must or, have been. Yeah. He'll and, say it uh, with more confidence next time. Do you know um, Jimmy? He goes by Jimmy. Anyway, hmm. he paid off the Ice Boy because he saw him coming and he uh-huh. was in the audience. And oh, so funny. he went to go get him and gave him a dollar. He's like, go cool, away. Cool it on the on the announcement <laughs> for a minute, okay? Here's a dollar for your trouble. That's great. He's like the he was like my bouncer that week. <laughs> and I guess that was that Ice Boy's most easily earned dollar yes, all week. I think so. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. All right. So before we get into back in, I want to ask you about fiddle playing, but um, I I just want to say like I'm very grateful for you're one of. You're one of the names that, like, you have all these names in your story. Adam Hurt is a big name in my story Aww. because, like, uh, my my first sort of foray into, like, the public sphere of old-time playing was going to Banjo Camp North. I think it was, like, four years ago I remember something. our meeting there well. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's where I met you, and I, I had just downloaded your perspectives uh, yeah. uh, on online and listened to that my whole way there. And I was just really excited about getting this this strange, silly instrument unlocked because <laughs> I love melodies and I love notes, and it's a it's a bizarre instrument to play if you love playing notes and mm. melodies because you have to learn all these different tunings and all these bizarre shapes and the claw hammer form itself. That's a whole thing. But I loved your playing and that you were able to sort of unlock the instrument. And that you're so generous with teaching people how how to, how to get there too. Hmm. And I remember I took your um, your soldiers. I think it was your soldiers' joy workshop. How to play soldiers' joy up the up neck. Up the neck, right? And it was all is like the, <laughs> the full sixteenth notes, uh-huh. not just da 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 da. Not it was like the, all of the notes. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, there's so much to work with here. And like you really open opened that up for me. And I just took that and, and ran with it. I'm and then, so glad. Me too. I'm so grateful that like uh, there were some awesome teachers uh, that that summer. But between your workshop on that, on playing up the neck, and also I think maybe even more important to me was your mastering the mechanics of tone mm. class. Is that what you called it? Yes. Yeah. Although I have to give Ken Perlman credit for naming that okay, workshop. Okay, good. That. Thanks, Ken. I think it's a good name. <laughs> uh, another name. Uh, right. In my in my journey as a climber banjo player no uh, doubt. Ken Perlman and I was so happy to get to get to meet him this yeah. last cliff talk because he was one of the judges fabulous person yeah 
and excellent shirts. <laughs> got to say. <laughs> I'll have to make sure he yeah. hears that compliment. You got good shirts too. Thank you. Yeah. I got to I got You have good uh, tank tops yourself. <laughs> I always think Cameron tank tops. In yeah. The same sentence. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Although if your listeners could see the hat you're wearing today, that would outdo the tank top Thank you. for anyone. This is my new like signature hat. Is yeah. it? Yeah. So I'm it'll gonna, be seen again. I'm going to wear it until it wears out because oh, it good. is a woven hat, so it will not last forever. I'm it's milking it for all it's worth. Yeah, do. <laughs> it's woven by uh, Guatemalan indigenous people. Wow. And this is how they make their money. They take their indigenous style and uh, apply it to things that only white people are going to buy <laughs> and they do oh, it well. gratefully and they're like yeah buy this hat okay <laughs> like, i will <laughs> and you did yeah cool <laughs> uh anyway <laughs> old time style <laughs> old time banjo player style or eccentric style anyway uh so you're mastering the mechanics of tone class mm. was very important to me because i think it it really opened up how to how to play the instrument. You're the person who got me taking my banjo from in between my, like in my lap Mm -hmm. to putting it on my right leg. Okay. That's a big deal. Yeah. Improving my tone. (laughs) Um, Playing with my index finger as opposed to my middle finger. Okay. Playing on the side of my fingernail. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting a a goat skin head. Mm -hmm. Playing on top of the head. All of these (laughs) things, I was playing completely differently. I took your class. I was like, guess I got to relearn how to play the banjo. Oh, no. But it didn't take me that long, and I'm so glad that I took that class and that that really was a fork in the road, and I'm so glad that I did that instead of... Um, I think it was either that or, or learning how to play Roustabout. With, oh, hilarious. With <laughs> uh, Riley Boggus. Riley Boggus, okay. And which was, attempt, was tempting, and I'm glad that I took yours because I can learn Roustabout any time I want, but learning how to do tone right is such mm. a particular thing. And uh-huh. That was a really big deal to me. And I'm then glad. all of our time that we spent together at the Nashville Callhammer camp with that was the Chownings. <laughs> yes, yes. I think that may have been that very next year. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. That got me ready for my, my very first cliff top. So all that's to say, like, uh, you're a really big deal in my journey as an all-time banjo player. And uh, I'm just you. very grateful. Thank you're, you. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> delighted to have been of help. <laughs> yeah. You're um, you're also very good at uh, you're very good at teaching Thanks. and making it accessible. Some the banjo is 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 a very mysterious instrument, mm. and you're very good at 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 unlocking it and making it not mysterious. Hmm. Don't be scared. <laughs> you could play you could play all the notes that the fiddle play if it's you true. if you learn how to do it. <laughs> and uh, so I imagine my my understanding is that your sort of journey as as a banjo player was. You you did a lot of a lot of recorded music of you playing sort of more or less note for note versions on banjo of traditional fiddle music. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining somewhere along the line, <laughs> you're like I might as well just pick up fiddle. When did that happen? That happened in a sort of casual way after I had been playing banjo for maybe five years. Somewhere in there, I was still living in Minnesota. Um, and I had gotten intrigued by the fiddle. And yeah, my banjo playing had become very tune-oriented, yes. melody-oriented, yes. I should say. So I figured it would be good to at least have a bit more hands-on awareness of how the tunes fall on this instrument. I had taken 
violin lessons from my dad when I was quite young for maybe a few months. Yes. And then it fizzled out, and I don't quite remember why, but he didn't force it. That was, I think, before I had even gotten interested in the mandolin. It was just a trial run. So I did, though, remember how to hold the instrument comfortably, how to hold the bow comfortably, even more importantly, and how to play relatively in tune, just how to make the thing work, even though I didn't know how to play any That's music There's a lot to get it. in just a few months. <laughs> well, it was, and I guess I was lucky that he was a good teacher, yes. too, yes. and that it stuck with me after a number of years. So I was able to sort of focus on the repertoire and the aesthetic right off the bat and worry less about how the instrument worked. Although I have to say, there is so much to worry about on the fiddle in terms of making reasonable tone come out and playing in tune that's a non-issue on the banjo. I think of it as a constant struggle, even after I've been playing it for, I don't know, 15 years, something like that at this point. It's never as comfortable for me as the banjo. Holding the thing is so awkward, even though I know what position works for me. Um, It's not an instrument that I can sort of kick back and relax with, and I'm not sure it ever will be. Interesting. I'd be curious to know if it's that way for other fiddlers. But anyway, I took lessons from a friend in St. Paul for... I don't know, a couple of years on a very casual basis. Usually we'd kind of get together and jam on whatever tunes I could jam on on the fiddle, whatever I could pick out on the fly from knowing them on the banjo, and then she'd record a tune or two for me to learn, just fast and slow, and that was kind of it. Um, Her name was Becca Schaefer. I should credit everyone. Uh, She was super fun and super inspiring when I was such a horrible newbie on the fiddle. (laughs) Um, God bless those fiddle teachers. That's right. They have to put up with so much. (laughs) They do. They do. And it's a funny thing. There was an old-time scene in the Twin Cities. There's more of one now. Um, There were regular festivals programmed by the statewide Bluegrass Music Association that included an old-time group or a few old-time groups. Um, And there was a concert series that they sponsored throughout the year, which brought in some old-time groups. That's how I heard Bruce Malski for the first Mm. time. That's how I heard Richie Stearns for the first time. That's how I heard Jeff and Susie Gehring for the first time, the first and last time, unfortunately. Um, So I was able to see this music and these instruments played, but not that much up close, believe it or not. And... I really didn't have visual access to a lot of very traditional Southern-style fiddlers. My friend Becca did play old-time music on the fiddle, but she also played Irish music, Mm -hmm. and she played some Northern music, just anything that she liked, I guess, she played. And so her bowing aesthetic in particular ended up being quite different from that of a lot of the Southern-style players, but I didn't really know that at the time. All I knew was that, okay, I could kind of play some of these tunes, and yet they sounded a little different from what I was hearing some of the passing-through fiddlers doing. And it took several years after leaving Minnesota 
and being in the South and going to the Fiddler's Conventions and being able to watch a lot of these great players in action that I finally figured out some different things to do with the bow that gave my music that rhythmic feeling that was not quite where I wanted it to be. And I'm still working on the Bowie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's going to be a constant struggle, too, I think, for the rest of my life. But I've figured out a lot of things, finally, that work for me. And I would tell anyone who's thinking about learning the fiddle, old time, that is, to focus on the Bowie more than the notes. It's all about the rhythm, if you ask me, and the phrasing. Kind of like the Clawhammer banjo. I mean, you can play as many notes in the fretting hand as you want, but if that right hand isn't right on, it's not going to be anything you'll want to listen to or anyone else will want to listen to either. And as melodically as I might like to play on the banjo, you know it's that driving, relentless rhythm that made me fall in love with the instrument, I think, before all the notes caught my ear. So I guess I approach the two instruments in a similar way. Yeah. I was recently... um, I, I... a few months back, started playing fiddle mm-hmm. and uh, started playing at fiddle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, how, really, like that's how it is. Fiddling at, first. at the tunes. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, it's a <laughs> sort of violent, aggressive, you know, okay. fiddling at them. Right. And fiddling on at them. them. <laughs> I like that. I'm not fiddling them yet. I'm just, there has to be some sort of preposition in between. Right, right. <laughs> the, I love it. Yeah, the verb and the subject. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I'm fiddling at these tunes and. Uh, I had just learned this tune that Don Stratton wrote called New Harbor. Hmm. I don't know if you've heard this tune. It's like my new, newest tune crush. Ooh. Uh, and I was, I was Harry at Gennaro had come, uh, Harry Bullock came mm-hmm. and found me. And uh, I was like, Harry, I got to play you this tune. And uh, I played it for him and he just wasn't picking it up. And he's like, all right, Cameron. Uh, so you're playing these long notes mm. and uh, they're above your pay grade right now. <laughs> <laughs> right now. You need to be shuffling, shuffling, shuffling. Okay. You can't play these long tones until, until you have that shuffling internalized. Uh-huh. Then you can break. Because I was just like loving all the possibilities of this. Like right. I never had an in- other than singing. I uh-huh. never had an instrument where I could just sort of interminably just like go. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, he's like, no, you gotta, you gotta. <laughs> You gotta spend some time just shuffling. Good advice. Yeah, and so that's like my new project for in between festival seasons. All right. Which is to say, the rest of the year. Yeah, and I'm maybe gonna, the rest of your life. The rest of my life. The rest of my life. <laughs> I'm gonna too. be shuffling and trying not to <laughs> get too lost in that. Great. In those in those whole notes. Or I whatever. wish you the best of luck. Thank you. <laughs> well, and that's really good advice. I think I see a lot of people who are new to the fiddle but maybe do play the other instruments and are familiar with the repertoire who kind of have the tune down in the the fingering hand and just let the bow travel haphazardly it's not organized they change directions only when they've run out of bow in the current direction and i'm thinking ooh try not to play that way it's only going to get in your way going forward yeah kind of like it ended up getting in mine without my realizing yes. it at the time yeah yeah it's a funny thing. Yeah. Old time fiddle bowing. Old time fiddle bowing. And that there are so many good ways to approach it, too. Um, I feel like bowing is almost like handwriting, yeah. in that everyone has to find his or her own way, and no one can really exactly reproduce that way of anybody yeah. else. 
and I think my handwriting is starting to become legible on the fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> I would certainly say so. Well, thanks. I knew exactly what notes you were playing. All right. I appreciate <laughs> it was that. More than a lot of fiddle players. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's, I love your trills. Thanks. The only other trills I've heard like that are, um, and I hope this is a compliment, uh, is Nikos Pappas. Oh, that is a compliment. Yeah. He's a great fiddler. He's got, he's got ghostly spooky trills. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only way I can think to describe them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, is that a Galax thing? Do they do trills that almost kind of Irish sounding? You um, know, I would have to go back to all of the source recordings from which I learned these tunes to be certain, but I can say that Emmett Lundy of the historical fiddlers we're looking at today in particular did have a lot of that sort of ornamentation, sort of non-Southern ornamentation yes, yes. left over from fiddle music across the pond yeah. that I think is super cool. And it could well be that the other guys whose music we're playing did. It's been long enough since I've listened that yeah. that detail is lost. Yeah. Sorry. But totally Emmett Lundy. I mean, if you didn't know you were hearing a Southern fiddler when listening to his recordings, you might think you were hearing yeah. an Irish or a Scottish it's that left-hand rhythm. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Really fascinating stuff. Yeah. And one of the many reasons why I like his music, because I think he's a link to um, a very early fiddle style. Well, I'm excited to play these, uh, these next couple tunes. Uh, we got two, um, two modal ones. We're going to do just back-to-back. Let's, mm-hmm. let's get started. The All first right. one's Lady of the Lake. Lady of the Lake, of which there are many versions. This is a version that I got from my friend Paul Brown, collected by him from a guy also from that Galax, Virginia area with the greatest name among traditional old-time fiddlers, Parley Parsons. There it is. Isn't that a great name? <laughs> Parley Parsons. Yeah, I wish that were my name. Um, <laughs> and Paul was so funny in sharing this tune with me, so he shared it with me the way that we're going to play it today, and I love the tune, and I learned it on both instruments and worked hard to get it as close to what I believed him to be playing as I could. And then he told me sometime later that he had gone back and listened to the field recording he made of Parley Parsons playing the tune, and he discovered that he had completely misremembered the B part of the tune. God I mean, forbid. Yeah, the full <laughs> process in action here. It's not that he had altered a few notes. It was a completely different B part. He played the recording for yeah. me, and he has since relearned Parley Parsons' yeah. B part. But if I remember right... He preferred the part that he misremembered, and I can say that I definitely prefer the part that he misremembered. So this is as much (laughs) Paul Brown as it is Parley Parsons uh, through our filters. But it's a beautiful tune. Um, It's kind of a spooky tune. It's got an unexpected extra beat, which cracks me up every time, and I like to play it a lot. I'm going to try to catch that beat. (laughs) Uh, yeah, Yeah, I bet you will. Can I hear some tuning, please? I'm ready now. Okay, no worries.
Yeah, I love what you were doing. <laughs> Thanks. Great chords. Oh. Yeah, let my leash out a little far, a little farther than I hoped to, but I <laughs> pulled it back in. It's great. It's great. Great syncopated rhythms too. Oh boy. Yeah, Lady of the Lake. Spooky tune, isn't this? It is spooky. Mm-hmm. Is that? Does that have anything to do with the? King Arthur or something? Huh. Or are there other ladies of different lakes? I don't know. You know, that's an interesting question. That's a really interesting question. I'll have to ask Paul if he knows anything behind the name of yeah. that tune family. There are a bunch of Lady of the Lakes. I think they might all be specific to southwestern Virginia, but from various source players. And a lot of their melodies are related to this one, but sometimes they're more D sounding and other times they're more A sounding but the pitches of the notes would be kind of the same I've heard Lady of the Lakes not this one specifically um, accompanied by some people with A, D, and E and the same melody in the same key accompanied by other people with D, G, and A chords I don't know of too many other tunes that could kind of swing both ways quite as well (laughs) but it's such a cool thing that they do yeah that is cool. Yeah, it's yeah. A lot of them you have to sort of use more. Sometimes I say it's like classic rock chords. Mm. <laughs> you got to use a like a seven and a four chord, right? Um, but and then some of them are more just Dorian mode to get a little bit nerdy. Um, I love nerdiness. And then so or just straight up minor, right? And this one, yeah, is is really nice combination. You can sort of go back and forth, and yeah, it's pretty flexible as far as modal tunes too. Sometimes a lot of times with modal tunes, I feel like I just have to sort of just hold on mm-hmm. and just get the notes, and I don't really know what to do. Right, otherwise. right. Yeah. <laughs> if in doubt, ride the one and yes. strive for tone. Right. Yes. <laughs> if in doubt. Uh huh. Well, we got one tune left, and I just want to say thank you so much for um, doing the show, and you've been uh, one of my most hospitable guests, giving Aww. me a huge list of uh, tunes with recordings that you made yourself, and I always love doing that because it allows me to bring my best, and uh, so I, I love the amount of intention that you put into everything that you do, including just being a guest on my show. Well, <laughs> so, thank you. It's a treat yeah. and an honor. So before we, before we play this last tune, please uh, tell us where can we... What do you want to plug? You know, where where can we find your recordings, and uh, how do we get you to come play in our town and <laughs> things like that? And okay, please. so I have a website, adamhurt.com, a d a m h u r t dot com, through which I can be contacted. I don't perform all that much, in large part because I teach so much. Yes, that's mostly what I do, uh, mostly via Skype. I don't have a lot of openings right now for new students, but if anyone listening is interested in exploring that possibility, please drop me a line and we can discuss. Um, But I have a calendar there that says where I'll be performing and at which camps and things I'll be teaching. My music can be found in a number of places, but I really like CD Baby. So go to cdbaby.com and type in my name and you'll find all of the stuff. I should say that I'm getting ready to release a new CD project that's been in progress for a long time. It's subtitled The Project That Will Not End. Well, mm-hmm. not quite, <laughs> just to me. Uh, it's called Artifacts. I'm very, very excited about it, in part because it's been such a long time coming, but also because I'm really pleased with the sound. It's mostly ensemble music with the banjo kind of taking the fiddle's place in the old-time string band. I love it. (laughs) So I've got a wonderful bass player in Marshall Wilburn, first time I've recorded with a bassist. He's 
better known in the bluegrass community, but he's got just the right touch and timing for old time, I thought. I've got Carl Jones playing some guitar and some mandolin. I've got Beth Hartness playing some guitar. I've got Stephanie Coleman playing a terrific fiddle banjo duet with me uh, in a way that only she could pull off. And I've got a special guest, Noam Pakelny, playing bluegrass banjo (laughs) on one string band number. There it is. That's a, that's a get right there. So the music is all mastered and ready to go. I'm just waiting on the graphics as of now, early September. So yeah. later on this fall, uh, that will be available somewhere. Can I say, wonderful title. Artifacts. Artifacts. Thank you. I, that's, that's great. <laughs> well, to me, that's what a lot of this music and these tunes ends up becoming you know we don't know a whole lot about the people behind the music sometimes but they've left this legacy in their music and i think that's very special and you know hopefully you and i can leave a little bit of a legacy in our music our recorded music for future generations if they'd be interested (laughs) yeah 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 that's that's cool it's like a time sort of time traveling it's like you're uncovering artifacts and you're leaving artifacts right right i like that hadn't thought about it that way cool obviously you have you (laughs) very tried you're a very thoughtful musician and i always i always really appreciate that i mean i love when people are just straight up id about old-time music too because that's relatable and we all need that it's all good (laughs) (laughs) and it's great for that so it's Uh you're a important important piece of the old-time tapestry and so great grateful that you're on the show man thank you very much What are we going to end? What are we going to end with? We're going to end with a tune from Emmett Lundy. So um, this is called Highlander's Farewell, and I think of the tunes of his that I have worked out. This is surely the best example of that taste of an earlier time in fiddling that I was referencing earlier because it's got the ornaments that you don't really associate with old-time music. It's got just a a harmonic construction that sounds sort of pre-Southern to me. And I'm not sure I know where he learned this. Um, He does say a little bit about the tune before he plays it on the old recording, but I don't remember him naming a source other than saying it's from the old country. Yeah. Whatever that means. (laughs) He was born in Virginia. Um, But one other thing that I really find interesting about him is, okay, he was born in Grayson County, Virginia in 1864. He was recorded nearer the end of his life than some of the uh, source musicians whose recordings we have learned so much from. He learned a lot of his music from a fiddler named Green Leonard, who was also from Grayson County. And apparently Green Leonard was a rather elderly person when Emmett Lundy was learning from him as a young person. So Emmett Lundy's recordings are really a link to early American and pre-American fiddling, better than just about anybody else I can think of, except maybe Eden Hammonds. I feel like Eden Hammonds and uh, Emmett Lundy have more in common than not. But it's great stuff, and if anyone listening hasn't heard Emmett Lundy's compelling fiddle music, uh, do yourselves a favor and look for it on Slippery Hill or assorted other wonderful online places for listening. Thanks, Larry. Yes. Thank you, Larry Warren. (laughs) Again, thank you. Incredible resource. Can we check tuning, please? Yes. Okay, I'm ready when you are. Here comes. 
you want to find out when Adam Hurt is teaching or performing, go to adamhurt.com and check out his events tab. If you want to buy his music, go to cdbaby.com slash artist slash Adam Hurt or just Google Adam Hurt or Adam Hurt CD Baby or Adam Hurt Albums and you'll find it. It's not that hard. Also, both links are in this episode's description and on the Get Up In The Cool Facebook page. Adam's new album, Artifacts, is coming out soon, and I'll let you know when it does and how to get it. Stay tuned. Get Up In The Cool is having its first live taping in Philadelphia on November 6th at the Random Tea Room and Curiosity Shop. I'm going to play some tunes and chat with Andrew Finn McGill, then I'm going to get my face melted listening to him fiddle tunes from his new album, Branches. You're welcome to join us. Look for the link on Get Up In The Cool's Facebook page or this episode's description. If you want Get Up In The Cool to do a live taping in your city, let's set something up. I already want to come visit you. I'll tour around every weekend if there's the demand. One more thing before I let you go. Right now is a great time to sign up to support Get Up In The Cool on Patreon. If you become a patron before the end of October, you'll get to help decide what's on the Get Up The Cool Best of 2016 album, and I'll mail you the CD when I make them. Huge thanks to my newest patrons, John Salmon, Stephen Landis, and Heidi, no last name. I know John and Stephen really well. They're both awesome old-time musicians, and they do a lot to preserve and proliferate the tradition. Stephen's the one who taught me my first fiddle tunes, Over the Waterfall and Angeline the Baker. I'm not sure who Heidi is because she didn't leave her last name, but I'm sure you're awesome too, Heidi. Thanks, guys. And thanks again to the rest of my most loyal and supportive listeners supporting the show on Patreon. For those of you who signed up to receive the bonus track, you'll get to listen to Adam and I play Piney Woods Gal. Once again, I wish I could share it with everyone, but I gotta save something special for the people who go to bat for the show every week. Next week is my dear friend, Jane Rothfield. I literally just got back from our recording session, and it was awesome. Alan Carr is playing guitar on it. Peter Oswald is playing cello. There's more banjo duets. You don't want to miss it. Come back same time next week for more Get Up in the Cool. Cool.